good evening, friends, and welcome to our 11 p.m. service for Christmas Eve. Uh, obviously, uh, this is a little bit unconventional, maybe unorthodox. Some of you might be used to a more traditional uh, midnight service or candlelight service for late night, but we have always kind of been of the opinion that if we have the opportunity to usher in Christmas morning, we want it to be laid back. We want to have a good time and just, you know, enjoy each other's company and, and celebrate. Um, and so that's why we do some of the things that we do here for our 11 p.m. service, just to kind of make it a little bit more... Uh, family-oriented, and more fun. Uh, my name is Adam Falkenstein, and uh, normally, on, on a regular day, I'm the pastor of Children and Family Discipleship here at NOEFC, but over the last few years, I've actually been given the privilege of sharing a Christmas Eve message at this service every single year. Uh, it actually took me a full year after I got here to convince Pastor Jeff that we should do an 11 o'clock service, and his response was, that's fine, but I'm not preaching it. So I said... <laughs> Okay, well then I will. Um, and each year I have used this as an opportunity to do a character study of somebody from the Christmas story. And tonight it's going to be no different. Uh, this year I've chose to focus on the innkeeper. Um, you know, it's interesting when we think about him. Um, the intent of this service was to offer this gentle ushering in of Christmas morning, which is a, a little ironic when you think about it, uh, because when it comes to the Advent season, we dwell on the things that Jesus is coming is supposed to bring us, right? Love, joy, hope, and of course, peace. I say it's ironic because when you look at the Christmas story, as we read earlier, the birth of Jesus, the actual literal event, was anything but gentle or peaceful. For Joseph and Mary, the events preceding his birth were actually probably very stressful. You know, Mary was a young woman, as we saw in that video earlier, you know, just a teenager, around probably 15 or so years of age, and she was pledged to be married to Joseph, and yet she becomes pregnant, and she starts telling this tale that the child is from the Lord, and even today, in 2021, people still struggle to believe the validity of this story. So imagine what it would have been like back then when she could have faced literal death for being found guilty of committing adultery. And then, of course, we have Joseph, who no doubt feels betrayed and embarrassed, probably humiliated at the events that have transpired. But thankfully, we have an angel that comes to visit both of them to reveal this great truth and unites them in bringing Christ into the world. But as time begins to play out, they end up having to make this unexpected trip to Bethlehem, completely alone and unsupported as far as we know. And then, of course, we come to Bethlehem itself, the scene of the Messiah's birth. Let's just take a look again at what Luke has to tell us about this exact time. In Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, it says, Joseph went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And you'll see that I've emphasized that last part of the verse there. There was no place for them in the inn. Almost every single translation of the Bible includes this mention of the inn using that exact language. 
or sometimes it's a variation referring to it as a lodging place at which there was no room for Joseph and Mary to stay. Now, we assume this was because they arrived late and the rooms were already taken. This is one of the most poignant moments in the Christmas story, and it's actually often discussed that the innkeeper was cold and calloused for not offering a pregnant woman, especially a pregnant young woman, a place to stay better than a barn. But when we look at this single, solitary mention of the inn, and this is the only instance that we ever hear, it's amazing how big this scene has become in our retelling of the story of Christmas, we actually notice something. Never is an innkeeper mentioned. Now, naturally, you're probably saying to yourself, Pastor Adam, of course there was an innkeeper. You can't have the inn without the innkeeper. And I agree. I, you know, we don't necessarily need to have it specifically mentioned that there was an actual innkeeper to assume he was there. But I do think it's important for us, then, to understand what that word, in, meant in its original Greek. Because in the original Greek, the word is kataluma, and it means guest room, or shelter, or even upper room. It is the same word that we see used in Mark 14, where Jesus sends his disciples to look for a room for them to celebrate the Passover. So when the Bible talks of an inn, we are actually talking about the homes in which people lived. And then when we pause to think about who would have been in the town of Bethlehem, we begin to see a very vivid picture of what was actually taking place. Because Bethlehem was the town of David, and descendants of the line of David, like Joseph and Mary, were congregating there for the census. Because of this, this means that the town was full of family, probably even direct blood relations to both of them. And what this tells us is that this was not a matter of physical space being absent in the homes, but emotional and spiritual space being absent in their hearts. Joseph and Mary were rejected by their family. Everyone in town looked at this unwed mother and this seemingly foolish bridegroom and determined that they would choose not to make room for them but they would give them their rightful place of shame and filth, an animal pen. It's quite the Christmas Eve message, right? We want to celebrate Christ's birth, and yet I'm choosing to dwell on the turmoil that Mary and Joseph endured in bringing him into the world. But we have to realize this. The rejection that Christ experienced, people's rejection of him, was not just when he was alive. It was happening before he was even born. And it's really sad when we stop to think about it. The thought of all that they endured prior to his birth and then even afterwards pains my heart. What kind of disgusting person would turn such a young couple away? But then we stop to think about it and we think about the cultural and societal norms that were prevalent at that time and it actually does begin to make a little bit of sense, doesn't it? It's not to say that I agree with what happened or that any of us should but just that I can understand how it went down the way that it did. You can almost start to feel a little sympathetic towards the innkeeper, whoever they were. For all of the flack that they've received from their place in this story, we have to ask ourselves, how could they have known the true ramifications of what they were doing? 
You know, we often think in the story of the shepherds and the wise men as the quote-unquote heroes of the Christmas story, right? But when we read through it again, we see that pretty much every other major player had an advantage that the innkeeper did not. They had a beacon of light showing them the way. The shepherds, Mary, and Joseph all received the news directly from the angels. The wise men had the star to follow. Simeon, who we talked about last year, had this revelation given to him through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Even Herod, who is like the villain of the Christmas story, had a light by proxy through the wise men. But when the innkeeper sees this young couple come up to the door, he doesn't see the mother of the Messiah carrying the Lord's child and the earthly father entrusted with raising him. He has no knowledge of this, of the fact that he's looking at the salvation of the world, knocking on his door. He only sees what the world has taught him to see because he had no guide, no light to show him the way. Are you getting this with me tonight? The theme for Advent in our church this year is light of the world. Later on in his life, after preventing a woman from being stoned, Jesus turns and addresses the offending crowd. In John 8, 12, he says, it says that again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus coming into this world was the unveiling of the light of the world. But just like the innkeeper, the world was not ready for it. And when he went about, people continued to reject him. The book of Luke continuously details accounts of those rejecting Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth, in the religious community, in the political and economic world, and definitely amongst common society. Jesus went against the grain, against what the world had deemed suitable. He spent time on purpose with known sinners, prostitutes and tax collectors. In fact, he made it his business to seek these people out. When you look at his life and even the moments leading up to his birth or the months leading up to his birth, it almost seems as if he was set up for scandal. And he did all of this because he was determined to shed light through love into the darkness. There's a saying that you may have heard before. It goes, we hate in others what we hate in ourselves. And I think that that is fitting for this story, this, this portion of the story with the innkeeper. I think a big reason that we find it so easy to pile onto the innkeeper in this story is because we see ourselves reflected in him. The innkeeper in the Christmas story represents us. Maybe tonight you're sitting and realizing you are one of those people who have never put their faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've sat there and said, you know, I would trust God if he'd just give me a sign. But the truth is, most of the time, we aren't going to receive some divine revelation or a bright shining star to show us the way. In fact, he already did all of those things, and he had been giving people the heads up for generations prior, and they didn't believe him even then. But Jesus is knocking on your door. We probably won't have advance notice that he's coming. We may not even realize it's him when he arrives. And when he does, we might feel like we don't have room for him. But he is knocking, even now. What is your response going to be? 
When it comes to these kinds of messages, I've often found them focused on the people who don't yet believe in Jesus. But I think it is just as important that the believer finds themselves in the story as well. So then when Jesus turns to us, his disciples, and gives us the charge of being that same light, what does that mean for us? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says to his disciples, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I think as a believer, we sometimes forget this. See, Jesus continues to show up to our door and knock as well. Only this time, it's not to reveal his light to us, but to act as our guide to be light to those who are lost, hurting, and in need of Christ's love. Think of how different this story may have gone had the innkeeper had a lighting guide. For the believer, Jesus shows up just as unannounced, but this time it's to test our faith, especially when we look at those who are in need. How do we respond to the poor, the weak, and the less fortunate than us? Do we scoff at injustice, shirk away from moral responsibility in the face of uncomfortability, or hold stronger to cultural and societal values than we do biblical ones? What do we do when we see someone being mistreated or in need of advocacy? Even in the face of what seems to be the seemingly never-ending pandemic, how do we respond to the multitude of ideas, opinions, and problems that it continues to present? Are we actually any better than the innkeeper? Because just like the innkeeper, the knock will come when we feel like we are already full of everything else in life. Likely in a time where that fullness feels overwhelming and we are stressed or scared or frustrated. And Jesus will still ask us, do you have room for me? And as a Christian, just as with a non-Christian, the same question gets posed. What is your response going to be? So as we close tonight... I would request that you continue to ask yourself these things. Either, have I opened my door to the light of the world, or am I being the light of the world? At Christmas time, it's really easy for all people to get lost in the shuffle of the busyness, and I know that still, this year has been unconventional. As a matter of fact, in a lot of ways, this hasn't felt like Christmas the way that I would normally feel like it's Christmas, but there's still, you know, the aspect of getting gifts ready and maybe going to see lights or baking cookies and, you know, delivering things to people. There's still all of the kind of chaos that comes with Christmas, and in those things, the, the shopping, the events, the parties, school activities, baking, decorating, it's easy for us to become the innkeeper, or we're so consumed by what's going on all around us that we fail to see what's knocking right at our door. But we have to remember that this message is not just for Christmas time. It is every single day. We can often, in just daily life, get consumed with what's happening around us that we fail to see what's standing right in our door. We are called to receive the light of the world and then be the light of the world in every moment of our waking life. So my challenge to you this Christmas Eve is this. 
don't miss it. The innkeeper did because they didn't have a guide or a light to show them the way. But if Jesus is knocking on your door, don't turn him away. Open your home to him. Open your heart to him. And if you already have, remember the charge that you accepted with that gift of salvation, which was to be that guide, that light to the rest of the world, that they might not reject Christ, but receive him into their hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come before you this evening, and we are nearing the hour, Lord, the day that we pause to celebrate and remember the gift, the greatest gift that has ever been given, one that was so undeserved and yet so freely given because of a love that is so, so much greater and far surpasses anything that any of us could possibly understand. As we close in on that hour, Lord, may we not shut the door in your face. May we remember that this day is not about all the celebration and the gifts and the presents and the decorations and all of the festivities that come with the season, Lord, it is strictly and solely about you. At the end of the day, if everything else is taken away, we have you. You gave yourself to us. You presented yourself to this world in such an easily accessible way. May we not close that door to you. We know, Lord, that you're knocking. Father, I ask that if there are those who are hearing this message this evening and have not made that decision to surrender themselves to you, to realize you are who you have always said you were, you are the one who keeps that promise of salvation intact. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would move in those hearts, that they might have that understanding, that revelation, that realization become true for them, that they would, maybe for the first time, tangibly understand you are the light of the world. You came to shed light into the darkness through pure love, and that that love is freely given. It is a gift that we all can receive All we have to do is ask. For those of us, Lord, who have accepted that gift already, I pray that you would remember, or you would remind us of the charge that was placed on our hearts, the charge that was given to Jesus, or by Jesus to his disciples, to be the light of the world, that he came to bring the light, and that we were called to take that light out, that we would not succumb to the pressures that surround us, to the problems that seem to be ever-present and consistent. We would not fall prey to hopelessness. We would not fall prey to despair, Lord. We would remember that the light that Jesus carried into this world, he gave to us with that gift, with that salvation, the salvation he brings to us, that we have been charged to continue to bear that light, to not hide it, 
to not keep it tucked away, but to let it shine, for it to be real, for people to experience his love through us. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise as we remember the fact that there was a sacrifice that was made, that Jesus' birth was, was meek, it was quiet, it was missed, but that it was in preparation for something so much greater. That his path to the cross began the day that he laid in that manger. May we never forget that that gift cannot be repaid, it cannot be replaced. It comes only from a love that is greater than a love we can ever give. May we receive that blessing this evening as we continue to worship, Lord. And we thank you and we ask these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.